You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best-selling author, MC, and two-time Grammy-considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart-provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Outstanding Life Podcast, where we feature some of the most inspiring and successful stories. Today, I'm thrilled to have with us one of the most talented and driven drivers who has carved a name for himself in this fiercely competitive world of racing, none other than Grant Infinger. So get ready as we chat with Grant about his journey, his achievements, and his unbeatable spirit that makes him one of the most respected drivers in the game. Ladies and gentlemen, Grant Infinger. Grant, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's good to talk to you there, Johnny. Man, Grant, first of all, congratulations on your big win in St. Louis. How about that? How about that? You know, that that wasn't even planned that way, huh? So we we planned this a couple weeks ago. So that's cool to to be coming off the high like that for sure. Well, it's got to be kind of nice to have one of those wins that you are able to to enjoy it for now a couple weeks, right? It it really is. So we're uh, we're coming to the end of a a five race stretch here, which, um, you know, I I feel like in the grand scheme of NASCAR world, that doesn't sound like too much. But but for us trick teams, um, you know, that that's a pretty grueling stretch for us. Um, so, so yeah, it's good. We, we get to soak this in. We, we get to, uh, enjoy it for a couple of weeks. So that, that's great. Well, Grant, I mean, you get to enjoy it because you get to spend 50,000 of your extra dollars that you got there. You got the big check, not only the big check, cause it's $50,000, but I saw that big cardboard check that you were holding up there at St. Louis. Yeah, so uh, actually, Sarah Bean, that, um, that that's been with GMS forever. She she's part of the PR and marketing department there. She she's actually talking to me today, and uh, we're having a little a luncheon for for everybody to to celebrate the win tomorrow. And she she's like, "Why don't you sign your name on the check? You know, for people to take pictures in front of us." So I was like, "Man, I, I wanted to endorse the back of it and take it to the bank and just see what they say." You know. <laughs> I mean, I know they won't cash it, but it, it, it at least make me feel better. Grant, coming up through the ranks, did you win a lot of those big, you know, cardboard checks? And if so, do you still have some of those? You know, I feel like I won one of those cardboard checks when uh, when when I was, you know, 17, 16, something like that in, in Legends cars. It, it was a, a race at Sunny South Raceway, and I want to say... Back in the day, it was a big money race, and I think it was fifteen hundred to win or something like that. So, my mom still has it. Um, like it, it's still in my parents' house, and I wouldn't let her throw it away. I, I think that's the only one of those big cardboard checks I had. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty cool. I, to be honest with you, they interviewed me after the race, and I completely forgot that it was an extra fifty thousand for that race. He's, <laughs> this stuff is so tough. Like that's honestly the the last thing in my mind when it comes down to a green light checkered or, or whatever. You you're wanting to, to beat all those guys for for pride and and all the effort that you and your guys put in for this stuff. And and uh, yeah, it, it's it's great to to have a, a cherry on top, so to speak. And fifty thousand dollars is a is a lot of money and and all that kind of stuff. But, it's definitely uh, not why we do this, but uh, that's for sure. Grant, not only did you win the $50,000, you won the race, but you also let everybody know that you're expecting your second child. How about that, huh? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, um, I was able to talk to my wife soon after that, and she was not expecting that announcement. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a good moment. It just kind of felt right. She had kind of had her... Her good checkup about a week and a half ago. So we were starting to tell our our, our close friends and our family, and it just kind of felt right to just uh, get it all out there. So so yeah, she she wasn't too mad at me, but she was uh, that 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 caught her off guard as much as uh, everybody else, I guess. Grant, before I get into you know your background on racing, I have to go here. How did you meet your wife? So we um, we went to school our entire lives together. So uh, we both are from Fairhope, Alabama, which is uh, in LA, uh, lower Alabama, it's about as, as low in Alabama as you can get. So right, right near the coast. And, um, 
we went to school and, and lived our whole lives there. Both of our, our families are still down there. Uh, my parents and her parents live a half a mile from each other. She would never give me the time of day when we were in the same state and the same zip code right down the street. But, uh, you know, I guess this was going on 10 years ago. I invited her to a race after I had since moved to Charlotte and, um, Maybe she was on the rebound. I'm not sure, but she finally she finally warmed up to the idea of uh, of seeing me, and and we started dating when I was in Charlotte, and and she had moved back home. She had bought a house. She was settling down back there, and and then uh, lo and behold, you know, we we started dating and and uh, got married, and she moved up here. Uh, I guess seven years ago or eight years ago now. So, yeah, we went to school all through grade school, all through high school and all, and she she wouldn't have anything to do with me, Johnny. But, uh, but she, I finally wore her down. So, <laughs> so I have to ask, and, and I don't think I've ever asked you this, but how did you propose to her? Yeah, that's actually a good story. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I guess the easiest way to say is like, my life is kind of, I mean, it has been so racing driven, you know, all through middle school, I started taking racing super serious through high school and all. So I, I was never one to be very romantic. I would skip a lot of stuff that you're supposed to do with your girlfriend to, to go racing and to even just work on race cars to make them go faster and stuff like that. So it, um, it ended up being a racing story. We won the ARCA race in Daytona on Valentine's Day, 2015. And I had had a ring for about three or four months and just kind of waiting for, I guess, God's timing and for it to just feel right for me. And it felt right. And uh, this was probably one or two in the morning. We kind of got done celebrating our Daytona win and asked her to walk out on the beach with me. And I proposed and I'd asked her if she would marry me eventually. Cause at that time in life, <laughs> I did not particularly want to get married, but I knew that the guy had put her in my life and I was supposed to be with her. And I was still kind of wrapping my brain around marriage and what that meant and all that. And I first saw us being engaged for a good two, three, four, if I played my cards just right, five years. <laughs> but I knew that Michelle is who I wanted to spend my life with. And I, I knew that my dad had put, put her in my life and I knew I was supposed to marry her, but I, I, I had grown for so long. It had been all race cars and I didn't even want to get married, you know, but I knew that like, Hey, she, she did not have that approach. You know, she, she, um, wanted, wanted to, to be married and, and, and wanted to, to have a family and all that. So, so needless to say, we were married within a year after that. Now, was she a big fan of racing? Absolutely not. So where, <laughs> where, where I'm from in, in Fairhope, Alabama, I guess the easiest way to say it, it's right near Mobile. Um, there, there has been some racers come from the Mobile area and, and obviously, you know, Alabama in general, you know, with, with Bobby and Donnie and Red Farmer and all, all our racing heroes, Alabama has brought out racers, but where I'm from in Alabama, it is all football. Nobody cares much about racing, to, to be honest with you. And, and we do we we do have some some great tracks. There's a Legends Car track there at St. South Raceway, um, late model track there in Mobile, Mobile International Speedway, and Pensacola's Five Flags Speedway. There are racetracks down there, but everything is about really it's about college football. And so because college football is so important, high school football is so important. So, so really, she wasn't a race fan. None, none of my friends, you know, were were huge race fans or anything like that. It was just something, um, you know, I I'd always had a passion for. My dad was a race fan and, and stuff like that. But no, she had no idea about racing. Um, she has grown to to I think genuinely enjoy the racing part of it. I think she still gets exhausted with the the um, you know the 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 extracurriculars of racing and then the craziness that goes along with it. And, and I think she gets emotionally drained from just, it's a, it's a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, weekly, you know, like a week ago, you know, I, it was a completely different emotion around here. And then now we won and Hey, life is good. And, <laughs> and we're about to go back to Nashville in a couple of weeks. And if we struggle in practice, it's going to be the end of the world again, you know, and, right. and and I don't have a deal lined up yet for, for next year. So there's uncertainty. She, she, 
she has not gotten used to the craziness of it. But I think actually racing, I I could see her genuinely actually watching a race to enjoy it some now. And, and she would she would have never done that before. So do you think that your wife actually watches you race? Yes. And I think she pays attention. And um, unfortunately, or I don't know exactly, I, I would, I guess, call it unfortunate from her standpoint and, and the conviction it puts on me standpoint. But, you know, NASCAR has an awesome app that allows people to listen to the radio. You know, so she enjoys when she's not at the track with me, she she listens to, to the, the app and is listening. She can hear channel one and channel two of our radio. Um, basically anytime we're at a companion race. So other than, you know, six or six, seven races of the year, she can hear our radio transmission. I think she, she listens to that and thoroughly enjoys that and just, um, kind of watches the, the race on, on mute, but, but listening to our radio, she can kind of understand what's really happening with us the whole time and all. And, um, you know, I'm a pretty mild mannered guy, but sometimes I do, spout off and, and get uh get more passionate than I probably should and, and she's always there to remind me of that when I when I, <laughs> I get home so you know, you know, something that uh, I think is just incredible. And I want you to tell everybody, you know, they say behind every good man there's even a better woman and it sounds like Michelle is that person for you. But you know, she does something special that even if she's not at the racetrack she puts something inside that race truck every single time you get inside that truck. And that is a, a scripture, you know, she, she, she sends it to you or she writes it out if she's there and um, tell everybody about, about that and how it started. Yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. And, and I appreciate you asking me about that, Johnny, but that uh, a friend of ours named Jason Cannell, who's, who used to live back where, where we did, he, he started that for me about it. It has to be close to 10 years ago. And, and he would, he would come up with a verse and, and give it to me before every race. And, um, and we'd always put it in the truck. And, um, you know, since, since Michelle and I got married and, and he was actually in a, in a pretty bad wreck three or four years ago, Michelle was kind of, they got to where they would kind of take turns and, and they would, they would text each other on what verse was going in and, and who would pick it out and, and stuff like that. And, and since then, since he's been in his accident, Mich- Michelle has, has, has done, done most of that. And, and yeah, before every, uh, truck race, we, we, uh, write out a verse and, um, a, more or less normally, you know, one or one or two verses. And, um, sometimes there's been a theme last year. She, she kind of had a theme this year. It's more like the, the verses that are, that are speaking to her currently. Um, this weekend, it actually came from my brother-in-law. It was, uh, Colossians 1, 16 to 17. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Um, so there, a friend of ours, uh, Marty Richards, had, had picked the one out from from uh, Charlotte the week before, um, and, and more times than not, it's it's something Michelle has has picked out and and has spoken to her. Um, but yeah, try to try to do that every week. And I I normally like I'll write it out if Michelle's not there, but I don't really I don't really soak it in and, and think about it until I'm you know, sitting in strapped into the truck and, and, you know, before we fire the engines or whatever, I have a chance to kind of reflect on that. And, and sometimes if, if there's a caution flag or whatever, kind of, I, I feel like it recenters me some as, as, as passionate, as wrapped up as we get on just kind of our single mindedness of the moment. Um, there is a, a, a bigger picture and a, and a reason we're all here and, and stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely appreciate that, and, and it's uh, it's it's definitely good to to have a a Christian wife that that supports that and and promotes that in, in our family. Well, I'll tell you what, I know that you put it on your Instagram, your Twitter every single week, and I enjoy, and I know there's thousands of other people that enjoy reading that as well. So thank you and your wife for doing that and you sharing it on social. But Grant, I have to ask, how did this crazy racing? story start and when did it start i mean what age and, and and why racing you said you came from you know a town of football players not race car drivers yeah well i don't know if you've noticed my bill johnny but um <laughs> you know i'm i'm 511 160 or whatever so i don't know um nfl caliber um <laughs> you know material but i you know for me when i was four or five years old my my dad was a race fan um you know he would uh he, 
he would go to Talladega. Him and his buddies would rent a Greyhound bus. There'd be 30 or 40 guys go up there. They'd cook out. They'd, they'd drink and have fun. And, and um, But, you know, he would watch the races every other week, too. And um, he's a big Dale Senior fan. I was a big Davey Allison fan. Um, we would just thoroughly enjoy racing together he had a friend of a friend of his named glenn cooley uh who, who raced and his son's race to the local track at, at mobile and and we would go there and and really that just kind of started a fire burning to where man i i wanted to race you know so i i wanted i wanted to to, to drive a go-kart and so you know i i think about age five or six i i started you know wearing my dad out you know and and i'm a I come from a long family of very stubborn individuals. I feel like, um, especially the men in, in our family are very, very stubborn. Uh, so I, I just wore my dad down and, um, at age 11, he, he bought a, uh, a go-kart and we started racing and, and he, he's a, he's still currently, he's an attorney. He's more or less, most of the stuff he does is, is divorces, uh, but a small town, attorney and absolutely has zero mechanical ability <laughs> he is a great guy a, a great lawyer he is um he's an awesome dad he's a great supporter but i'm telling you like when i say zero mechanical ability i mean like it he's it's all he can do to fill his car up with gas. You know what I mean? He would never like try changing the oil. You know, he has checked the air pressure a couple of times, I think, but, but like I'm saying zero, zero, zero mechanical ability. So me at age 11 and my dad, um, you know, being an attorney didn't probably make the best team at the time when we were racing go-karts, but, uh, we had a lot of fun. And, and for, for him, I think it was just, genuine fun with his son and uh and for me it was fun to just drive and um when you know i i was obviously competitive i didn't i didn't like not being good so you know i was pretty young trying to learn everything i could and um leaning on friends or whoever didn't know what kind of air pressure what tires or what gear we needed you know uh, that was more or less on on me or or a a, a friend of his that would help his son Glenn and um and all that and and when we started racing legends cars at age 15 that's when I kind of took it upon myself to learn the mechanics of it and and it's never that I enjoyed the mechanical part of it is like I was always a competitive spirit and I wanted to win races kind of it at whatever cost so I I'm I knew that we weren't going to go hire a crew chief or somebody like that at, at that point in life to, to give me the fastest car. It, it was, it was kind of, you know, up to, 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 to friends and, and me to, to, to make it happen. And, um, my dad always supported it and, and he was always great with it. And, and he would go to the races and, and when, when he couldn't go to the, go to the races, there were, there was times that, that my mom would go or when I turned 16, there was times that he would, he would let me and a, a buddy of mine go to the, go to the races ourselves, you know, if he had to work or whatever, but, but yeah, it didn't come from a racing family. Just, just always in, enjoyed it. And, and I, I would say from lack of a better term, I was obsessive and stubborn and just kind of, um, wouldn't, wouldn't take no for an answer more or less. And people, and people don't realize that about you. You are a mechanic. You know how to work on these cars and trucks. So I do. And, and really the last six or seven years, life has changed a little bit on that to where I'm not doing that primarily. I, I'll still go to the shop and, and help the guys. And I, I like tinkering with that stuff, but it, that was never where the passion was for me. The passion was for for winning races and from beating the next guy that's at his best and, and stuff like that. But, but I was one of those guys that was kind of willing to, to do, you know, what, whatever task I needed to do, you know, I, I was kind of willing to, to do it uh, coming up through the ranks. And, and there was a lot of, a lot of tasks that, you know, I didn't, didn't want to do. And, you know, there was, there was opportunities that, um, you know, some, some people probably would have, would have frowned upon or, or, or didn't want to do. And, um, I would, I would, for the most part, not turn down any opportunity. And, and I, 
looking back, there was a few of them I, I should have, you know, but <laughs> you know, when I, when I first made my first ARCA start, it, it was a starting park, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't really racing, but you know, that, that got me some practice laps. That got me some qualifying laps. That, that got me some experience. And, um, you know, there, there was, you know, other stuff that, that I just did kind of out of necessity because I wanted to be a racer, you know, and, um, didn't really have the means and, and wasn't, uh, you know, maybe savvy enough to, to, to do stuff on, on the business and to, to make it all make sense at, at that time. But, um, but man, sometimes the, the struggle makes you appreciate it even more when you are able to have some success. And I, I feel like there, <clears throat> there's certain times that, that I see some, I, I, some kind of maybe younger guys coming around that, that don't appreciate the situation they're in and, and they lose it and then they realize it down the road or whatever. Well, I was one of those guys that maybe didn't have the best opportunities at the beginning, but but it's since, man, I, I've had some incredible opportunities the, the last really six or eight years to to be in fully funded stuff to to be able to run for championships and run for wins and 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 make a living doing it that that's all i ever really wanted you know so i'm i'm one of those guys that's living out my dream but i truly realize that i'm living out my dream and um so i I think it's allowed me to appreciate some of the successes that that i've had and and where some of the other guys have, have maybe come in and and already out and and didn't realize how good they had it at the time. You know, there, there's other guys that were in the same situation, but they, they had enough talent or, or they had enough persistence to where maybe maybe they came in not appreciating it and, and not doing the things they were supposed to, but but they since have learned that and, and, and have been able to be successful too. So so anyway, yeah, you just you, you see all that all that stuff going on and I'm I'm in a series, you know, in the Craftsman Truck series where, you know, I'm thirty eight years old. I've been racing since I was 11, you know, and, and there's guys out there, I would say, I don't know what the stats are, but I'd say the average age in the truck series has got to be, you know, 22 or 23 years old. I bet you half the guys are, you know, 20 years old or, or younger. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, uh, to me, I, I count it as a blessing. I, I think I was 31 years old as a rookie in the truck series, but but uh, but man, I, I was a rookie with a great team and, and an opportunity to win races and and man, it's uh, it's like I said, it, it's different than a lot of people's path, but but uh, it's something that that you know I'm kind of proud of too. Grant, we hear about the wins, we hear about all the all, all the great things, but through the years. Have you ever doubted yourself, your ability? And I ask that because there are people listening right now. No matter what we do in life, there are times that man, we feel like we're on top of that mountain and nothing's going to knock us down. And then an hour later, something happens, and we we realize that man, this stinks. At any point in your racing career, have you ever doubted yourself? Oh man, like I I feel like in the racing world, the emotional roller coaster that that I go on is like, and I, I truly feel like in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty, I'm pretty level headed, like compared to most guys that, that I talk to, that I know that I race with, that I grew up with in, in all walks of life. Like I consider myself pretty, pretty even keel, you know, and I go through an emotional roller coaster every week or two. Like it, there is always times where, we're like we're living a high right now because we we came off a win, you know. The the week before, the first half of the race at Charlotte, I'm running 15th to 17th with my tongue hanging out, like doing everything I can do and and can't march forward. And and fortunately, we're able to throw some hail marys and and make some stuff happen and and come back some at the end. But but man, the first half of that race, yeah, like I'm I'm doubting me, I'm doubting everything around me. I'm just it's. It's one of those sports I feel like that's more um yeah, I'm sure a lot of sports are like this and, and maybe I just look at it from the racing side of things, but man, there's thirty-six guys out there. There's one winner. And um like our job is to win races. Like our job is not to run top five, it's not to run top ten. So so like we're not gonna be happy if we don't win races, if we don't sit on poles, if we're not fastest in practice and and um Man, I I was concerned with myself Friday when we left Gateway. I felt like I laid a lap down in qualifying and we're 10th. 
Like I felt like I did stuff right. And I felt like our truck was decent and all that stuff. And, and then I look on the speed charts and I, there, you know, we, we get a, a printout from Chevrolet of, of kind of where we are, where our average uh, time is, where our quick time, where our slow time and our average time. And you look on it and we're, we're 10th on average. We qualified 10th. And, and I'm thinking the truck is good. Well, okay, well, maybe I'm off, you know? And, um, so yes, I, there is always a time that, that I feel like, you know, if, if racers are actually honest that, that I'm sure everybody doubts themselves at, at some time and, and, um, doing what we do in racing, but also in life, a lot of, a lot of your success comes from confidence, you know? And like, if you don't have the confidence that you can get it done, it just kind of spirals, you know, out of control. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, yes, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, so let me ask you this then. How do you handle the stress when you're feeling that way? Or or who is it that helps you handle that stress? Who is it that kicks you in in the in the butt when when you start to doubt yourself? Who is it for you? Is it is, is it your crew chief? Is it somebody on the team? Is it your wife? Is it a friend? Who is it? You know, I yes. I I feel like there there's certain times that uh that that I feel like you know, Jeff Hensley, my, my crew chief has has kind of been there for me to to give me confidence when when you know stuff isn't going good. But I, I feel like we we have that kind of relationship where we we both truly believe in each other and we both truly know when the other one is is off the rocker <laughs> and when they are our own point. And and I feel like we know each other enough to to be truly honest with each other and, and we do truly believe in each other. So, so yeah, actually before we won our race in Kansas, which has been about five weeks ago now, like Hensley came to me and, and gave me a little pep talk before the race. And, and that's actually the first time he's ever gave me a pep talk like he did. Um, but there's been a lot of times, you know, in our relationship that he's, he's told me like, I, I believe in you as a driver and, you know, just communicate what you need, but, you do everything on your end, then I'm going to do everything on our end, and we're just going to do the best we can. And, and then there's other times that that he spun out, you know, that, that people have him stressed out, and and he's not thinking for himself. He's he's doing something because somebody else is in his ear, and, and I try to be that way for for him. Uh, um, but anyway, yes, Jeff Jeff is there for me. Uh, my wife is there for me, and I I feel like we've we've found kind of a a home church finally the last couple of years to where we actually have a a church home and a church community and and um and i i i tried to and my wife is a very good you know promoter of of us kind of staying grounded and, and staying you know trying to to keep god in the center of our lives which we don't always do but but i feel like i have a good promoter for that and um, at the end of the day, all this stuff that we try to do and we try to win races and we try to do all this and that's a, that's a fleeting happiness. You know, that's a, yeah. that's something that is as hard as it, you work to do what we did this week to, to win the race. There was so many hours, so many people, so much, so much stuff had to work itself out. So many people had to do their jobs and all that stuff. And that's, that's one moment. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost gone. If we didn't have two weeks off, it would already be gone for us and it'd be all Nashville. And we're just right. worried about prepping it. Our sim session yesterday for Nashville didn't, didn't go very good. So that, that would be the stress level. Just, we got a couple off weeks. So that's, that's pushed off for a couple of days. So, that, you know, I, I think, I think we, we consciously try to, 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 to know that like do everything you can prepare as, as well as you can like have the confidence you need in, in yourself. But at the end of the day, it, you know, there, there is a, a bigger story. Well, Hey, speaking of stories, I, I want to hear, I want to go back to Michelle. Uh, a friend of ours told me to ask you, they said, Johnny, ask him about the story about him and his wife going fishing. Now I have no idea what I'm getting myself into when I ask you that question, but what is yeah. this with you and your wife fishing? Yeah, so um, that that is a pretty good story. So I I feel like um, you know the racing life is crazy. It's it's stressful and, and all that stuff. So so when we do have an off weekend, you know, 
I'm I'm blessed and like Michelle likes to travel. We're I'm I'm kind of an adventurer. Um, there are times when we both want to stay home, but but we do enjoy getting out and about and and, and stuff like that. So so this was five or six years ago. We're kind of in the grind of the season. It's the middle part of the summer. I know I kind of need to do something for Michelle to to you know keep things happy at home and to get us a little break together or whatever. So. So I went on Groupon and found us like a little bed and breakfast deal. Wait a second, Duke. Grant. Hang on a second. You're a famous race car driver and you went to Groupon? So number one, I'm not that famous. Number two, I will always be somewhat of a of a cheapskate, Johnny. So, I mean, <laughs> I just if, want to make sure I heard you right. Save, save a couple of dollars, you know, uh, on stuff like that. Now, if the race car needs some brakes or tires or motor or whatever, it's all in. We'll do it second mortgage, third mortgage. We'll sell the house. It doesn't matter. But for vacations and for, you know, cars and for all that kind of stuff, no, I'm I, – you know, the, the people that know me know, know I'm not out there just, just blowing money. So, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry Groupon, to interrupt. Okay, so you, you went to Groupon. You, you you got this deal. Found a nice little bed and breakfast. And I have no interest in a bed and breakfast, but I know that that would like kind of speak Michelle's language. So I like every little get together or getaway, every vacation, no matter what, like we're we're from the coast of Alabama. We both enjoy the water. I love fishing. So any kind of getaway we have just happens to have a body of water that I can go fishing on. So Beaufort is right near the water in, in South Carolina, near Savannah and Hardyville and, and all that stuff. So um, it was a bed and breakfast for her, but there it's kind of like brackish water fishing. It's it's like a little bit of fresh water, but, but more salt water. So you can kind of catch speckled trout, redfish, flounder, that that's my kind of fishing. So I put this bed and breakfast and I'm like, Hey baby, you know, we're going on a trip for 4th of July. It's a three day weekend and we're going to have just a good, nice trip. Um, but I'm going to bring the, the kayaks so we can go kayaking too, because you know, that would be romantic and stuff like that. And she knew that I was going to go fishing. Um, so in Beaufort, there are, tides there are tides everywhere i guess in the world but there are significant tides meaning like the water goes up and it comes down and it's like a 10 foot difference from (laughs) high tide to low tide so that being the story and i actually had my brother-in-law called and warned me because he he knew where we were going and and all that is like just be be you know aware of the tides well like we're driving down there and I get to, you know, Googling, you know, where do you go fishing or whatever? And, and so there's, there's a little, I don't know, some sort of blog. Um, there's this place you, you go to Paris Island, you, you, you go to this, you know, state park, you walk a hundred feet through the woods. And then there's this little canal that this guy had caught redfish in. So anyway, how I filmed this place, it was just like a rabbit hole on Google. So I somehow convinced Michelle to do this with me and we hike the kayaks, you know, it's not a huge hike, but, but we park where we're supposed to park and we have to hike to this little canal. And so we put the kayaks in the canal and we, we get to go in and there is nobody around. I mean, zero, no, nobody, nobody else parked in the state park. There's, there is nobody around. So we get to going through and we're just in this little canal that couldn't be more than six or eight feet wide. It's like a big ditch. And there's there's like really tall grass on either side. So if you were to stand up in the kayak, you could not see over this grass. And and it's a twisting and turning canal. So really narrow, like basically a big ditch. And this this body, this canal feeds out to this bay. So, Michelle, like, right off the bat, she is worried. We came from South Alabama where there is alligators everywhere, and she is worried that, like, an alligator is going to come out of these this grass, <laughs> and, like, that's all she wrote. You know, Grant and Michelle are gone. Nobody hears from them again. Or <laughs> but she's, she's up for adventures, but she wants to be extra safe. I'm up for adventures, but I'll, I want to get home alive, but to me, like, 
a little bit of struggle or a little bit of worriedness or, you know, a heart rate elevated is kind of good for me. So anyway, we're coming at it from two different aspects. So we're kayaking through this canal and the tide is going out, which, okay, I wasn't that worried about, like I had been warned about it, but I wasn't that worried about it. I just knew that we're going out to this main body of water, which is where I wanted to go fishing anyway. And we're basically not even having to paddle. The water is going so quickly that that <laughs> we're, we're going out of this canal and like I'm fishing along the way or whatever, but I'm having to like backpedal a pretty good bit to just sit in one spot to fish. So we end up, it's probably, we probably go a mile and a half or two miles out of this canal and it feeds us into the main water that, that I wanted to get to. So we, we pull our kayaks up on the beach and um, I'm catching some little trout and we actually are catching little baby sharks. They weren't more than a foot or a foot and a half long. And, and I'm the kind of guy when I'm fishing, I'm not like a sports fisherman. I don't, I don't, I don't have to catch a certain fish on a certain lure or whatever like i just like to fish you know it's just a hobby for me yep so so we're fishing and we're fishing for a solid three or four hours and then now she's ready to go you know i could stay there all day but she's ready to turn around and go home or whatever and and it's her this was her getaway now i sold her on the bed breakfast and then like this is your weekend out or whatever and this is just my little you know fishing trip that we squeezed in along the way so I, you know, I wear out for another 30 minutes or an hour of fishing. And then, so we, we turned to go back in. And at this point, she's kind of done. You know, she's, she's out there longer than she wanted to. There is zero shade. (laughs) Now we're out of water. We've ate whatever little snack that she brought with her for her. And she's done. So we're, we're paddling in and we get like one curve or maybe two curves in and there is no water like <laughs> no water to, it is literally just mud like not even a trace of water and so immediately i realized what had happened you know like the tide is out and it was a way bigger tide than i had accounted for <laughs> you know so <clears throat> at this point i'm like well baby let's just you know, kayak back out to the main body of water and I'll fish a couple more hours or whatever <laughs> and we'll come back in. And then she gives me that look of like, no, like we're at, you are absolutely not going to enjoy yourself while I'm miserable. So we're, we're going in no matter what. I'm like, so, okay, what do you do? So I, I get out of my kayak and I step in the mud and it's literally like past my shins, almost to my kneecap. Like it's, it's that soft. Like there is no, like beyond zero chance of us walking our way back to where we launched our kayaks at. So she is just beyond livid, you know? And I said, I I tried again to convince her to go back out, you know, and I'll just fish a little bit or whatever. And then we'll wait for the water to come in. And then the water, like I'd sold her on the water is just going to float us back in. We won't even have to paddle. And um, she was not having any of it. She is just done, you know? And um, so I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll just sit here and wait for the water to bring us in. Well, we just sat there and, and I don't know how much time it passed, but like, 10 minutes or whatever, nothing happened, you know? So we're probably at the time of like all the way low tide and maybe it's an hour or two transition before water comes back in, whatever. I I don't know. So she finds like a stick and puts it in the ground or whatever to see if the water is moving and she can't see the water moving. And, you know, maybe it's a half an hour. I have no idea what the time frame is at this point, but it's however long enough water comes in to where we can float and kind of scoot with our butts to the next curb. And we get to the next curb and it's all mud again. And we do this, we do this process for like an hour and a half or two hours. And she is like every second that goes by, she's like boiling and she's getting redder and 
hotter and sunburn and just flat out pissed off, you know. <laughs> right. And um, this was her vacation, you know, and I've ruined it, obviously. And then we, um, you know, we we go for a little ways, and then all of a sudden, like, like I I feel like it's those people walking through the desert and they see an oasis. All of a sudden, there's this big pool of water, and there's mud on the other side of it. But all leading up to it is is our canal. We get enough water to get to this huge pool of water, and there's fish breaking the water. <laughs> so you're happy at this point. You're I'm like, yes, happy and like. <laughs> She can see my face is like pure joy. And she gives me this scowl like, you better not throw a line in this water because I'm pissed off and you're not allowed to have fun while I'm like, while my day is ruined, you know? So, so obviously, you know, I just, I don't, at that point, I don't care. And, you know, I go fishing anyway. And I'll hook into a really, really big redfish and she had enough care in her heart that she was actually once i hooked the redfish she was genuinely happy enough to where she took a video for me and and had you know watched me reel it in or whatever and and she did have a little bit of uh softness in her heart towards me but um we finally i i caught the big redfish i'm like all right it's done and i probably fought him for i don't know 10 or 15 minutes and it was it was fun. That's what I came there to catch, and it was all great. And at that time, like water was actually starting to come in, so we uh, I put put the redfish back. wasn't like I was keeping them or anything. And we uh, we slowly but surely paddled our way all the way back to the launch where we got, but there still wasn't enough water there. So it's me and Michelle's a small girl. It's me and her in these two kayaks. And the bank where we first dropped our kayaks in is now probably six feet up there, you know, whereas maybe it was two feet when we dropped it in. Right. And it's a huge, like 90 degree, just mud bank. And I was like, maybe the only thing we can do is, you know, fish a little while and just wait for the water to come up. And she's like, no, <laughs> we are leaving and I don't care what it takes. So we like, we climbed up this mud banking and pulled these kayaks out and marched our kayaks back to the truck. And I had to throw away like the water shoes that I was wearing were like caked with mud so much. You could hardly walk like the mud was just, it's not normal mud. It's like quicksand mud. I, I don't know. It's like impossible to walk through. So anyway, we basically ruined our shoes, ruined our day. We ended up, where I sold her on like a three or four hour little fishing thing for the morning. Now it's like three or four in the afternoon. And we, we, we leave there and we go straight to this gas station to like clean ourselves up. And we're both like straight red. Cause we didn't have sunscreen. Like we put sunscreen on before we went, but we didn't go with us for kayaking, you know? And, yeah. and we're, we're both like famished from, you know, water and food and stuff like that. So she, she was still married to me afterwards, but it was, it was a, a long evening. I had to do a lot of, uh, a lot of making up for that one. So, but it, it was a, it was, I'm sorry that story ended up so long, but it, it was, a, no, I it love it. A, it was a fun, a fun, uh, crazy adventure, but she has, she literally has not gone kayaking with me since then. Well, so. you brought up sharks and, and, and I know that, that you're a race car driver and I appreciate you talking about other things than just racing. Cause this is how fans get to know you. Right. Well, Shark Week is coming up, and I'm just wondering: Would you ever go diving with the sharks, or maybe, or maybe you have? No, absolutely not. Like I, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm particularly scared of sharks. Like I, I grew up, you know, going fishing in the Gulf and stuff like that, and and um, but I would never encourage like anybody <laughs> to get in there to get in a cage just so you can see a shark why wouldn't you just watch them on tv or whatever you know what i mean like i have no desire to like try to poke the bear now to catch sharks or to catch whatever fish or to, to go out there and, and go night fishing and not know what's on the end of the line and all yeah i think that's fun but um to get in a cage with a shark on purpose i i don't see the point in that that's kind of like <laughs> jumping out of an airplane like i mean i I, I get that's like an adrenaline rush or something. I just, to me, I, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm like, well, so you well, wouldn't do that either? No, 
Absolutely. Okay. Hey, Grant, with only a couple minutes left, I'm going to get as many of these fan questions as I possibly can in here. Can you describe to all of us what it's like to get inside your race truck and hit speeds of over 200 miles per hour? Can you kind of like just real quickly just tell us what that feels like? Man, to me, I, you know, I'm probably not the best person to answer that because I think people race for different reasons or whatever. I feel like some people race for like the glory or some people race because they're adrenaline junkies and they love the speed. And, and I, I strictly race for the competition. I love the competition. I love the fact that when we win, we beat somebody else at, at their best. And I, I genuinely enjoy the competition part of it in the, the speeds or something that kind of, hit me afterwards when we wreck <laughs> or when we, we come to a sudden stop, you know, and, and I will say that like, um, like the Talladegas and the Daytonas of the world, you, you truly don't realize how fast you're going until something goes wrong. But there's other places that we go, like Mile and a Half, Kansas, for instance, or Charlotte or whatever, that, that you are just truly hauling the mail and you stop the gas and, and, you know, your G forces go back or, or just the, the side low G forces, you're like really feeling it at some of those places. And um yeah, but it's it's never been about the adrenaline. It's never been about the speed. It's always been about the uh the competition for me. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it it gets your attention those those sudden stops and and, and when stuff does go wrong, um you realize it and, and and in those instances where you spin out and somehow you don't hit anything and people are blasting by you on both sides and you're like you're like man i you're there there's certain times where you're genuinely you know scared right you know but but um but yeah it's uh it, it's that that part of it has always been trumped by the, the competition standpoint for me do you prefer racing the big tracks like daytona talladega or the small tracks like bristol and why i, I like the short tracks I like, um, you know, we didn't run particularly that well at Wilkesboro, but I, I like the tracks that are low grip, um, that aero doesn't mean as much, but like mechanical grip and, and driver, um, you know, the driver can make a difference. You, you have to be smooth on the accelerator. You have to have an egg under your foot. Um, I like those kind of tracks. So, so like Wilkesboro, uh, Richmond, the, the old, wore out asphalt tracks is, is what I enjoy. And I think that's because we have so many of the tracks that are like hammered down, wide open, where so much throttle, so much aero dependency. I like kind of more the, the old school wore out tire management places. Okay. When it comes to like pre-race, do you pump yourself up by listening to some good country music, the good, you know, maybe some good Southern rock or maybe some rap, or do you, would you rather have some like quiet time to focus and reflect? So like when I'm driving to the track in the morning and stuff, sometimes I'll, I'll try to pick out some, some, some old twangy country music just cause that's what, what I enjoy. But before the race, you know, things most of the time are pretty crazy on and hectic on race day. Um, so I've, I've gotten in the habit to where, you know, after I put my fire suit on, whether I'm in the lounge or, or even if I'm just out at the truck, I try to get in the truck a minute or two early and just kind of center myself, kind of go over what this restart is going to be, what the initial start of the race is going to be, what move I think my competitors around me are going to make, what what I'm anticipating. I try to anticipate that as much as I can for the first start, and then that, that kind of clears everything after that you just go off the instinct so i i feel like that that helps me just kind of clear my head because a lot of times there's stuff that's you know it's sad to say this but completely off subject that's going on like you're there to to win the race and you're there to do everything you can to to win that race that's what your job but there's so much other stuff going on it has nothing to do with performance on race day that um that you, that I I feel like I I, I do my best to, to try to find some quiet time to recenter myself and to to truly you know kind of kind of be you know more or less anticipate that first start and just kind of be a one with with what I'm trying to do again. Do you prefer racing during the day or at night, and why? I, you know from. 
from a performance standpoint, I would rather it be in the daytime where the tracks get hotter and slicker and uh, where there is more throttle control involved. And then from a from a spoiled truck racer standpoint, uh, it's cooler at night and it gets really, really hot in these trucks. So a daytime race, uh, whatever it is outside, it's going to be, you know, a, a solid 30, maybe 40 degrees hotter in the truck. Um, but nighttime, it's like half of that, you know? So, so, uh, yeah, from a, from a comfort standpoint, I would say nighttime racing, but from a, from what puts on a better show for the fans and, and what puts on like a, a better, a better type of racing, I would prefer daytime racing. I will say it was, it was pretty warm at gateway this weekend. So it was, it was in the mid nineties, I, I think. So, um, daytime races are, are a little bit, you know, tougher for, for the guys in the truck on that point, but it it's tougher for the fans too to be to be sitting up in there. Sweet or unsweet tea? You know, you may consider me not a southerner, but I don't like tea. You know, what? everybody else everybody what? else in my family, they <laughs> love tea, they love watermelon, all the true southern stuff. And I don't I don't like tea. Grant, one last thing and I promise I'm gonna wrap it up, and that is what is your favorite trophy in your man cave, in your house, or in your trophy case? And I'm not talking about just with NASCAR. I'm, a, I'm talking about throughout your years. Man, one of the coolest ones, I guess, and, and one that I'm more proud of, I, I guess, is is winning the clock at Martinsville a few years ago. And and not just for winning that race at Martinsville, but for what it meant. We, we had to win that race to, to make it into the championship race there at Phoenix. Um, that's that's in my dad dad's house. That's, that's pretty special to me. And then... I guess the the one that means probably even more than that was my first ever ARCA win was at my home track at Mobile, and it was a jukebox. It was a Crosley jukebox, and oh, sweet. Um, still to this day is one of the coolest trophies in racing, I think. And and it's uh, it's useful too. You know, you can you can play the radio on it still t- today. And uh, Carson's always pushing the buttons on it now and, and making it light up. But I'll I'll still there be a lot of times if I'm running on the treadmill or whatever I'll. I'll crank the jukebox up. I'll turn the lights on. And it's just, it's just a really awesome and functional trophy. Grant Infinger, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Johnny. It was great talking to you. Hey, everybody. I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Motivational Cowboy. We'll see you next week right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. Have an outstanding day. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day.